Well, good morning. It's nice to be back. People have asked, did you go away? No, we didn't. We stayed home. We did some work on the house, continued painting. We almost finished and uh, just had a nice time relaxing. We did a few day trips and uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I hope you've had a wonderful break too. We resume on Wednesday with a soup evening and then thereafter we'll go into uh, communities on a Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to start foundations and we're going to be starting orientation. So if I contact you about uh, membership, uh, it's about orientation and coming into the life and work of the congregation. This morning I want to speak on tough times, tough times, and how to respond to those tough times. How to respond as Christians, as children of God, to those tough times that come our way. All of us will go through a tough time. We're either in the middle of it right now, or we're going to go to it, or we've just gone past it. Norman Vincent Peale said this, There's only one group of people who don't have problems, and they're all dead. Problems are a sign of life. And the more problems you have, the more alive you are. <laughs> We've all had our fair share of problems. In the 40 years that I've been in the pastorate, I've been with people on the worst day of their lives. People have been in the pink of health. They've been getting on well, they've been exercising, they've been eating healthily, and they are as fit as a mule, and then just all of a sudden, out of the blue, they suffer a heart attack or they get diagnosed with some form of a terminal disease. And all of a sudden, their strength and their confidence is gone. I've been with business, prominent businessmen, where as a result of a few bad decisions and bad investments, uh, all of a sudden, that is gone. Their wealth is gone. The cars, the houses, the dinner parties, gone. I've been with people who have lost their life's partner. And from that day, the companionship has ended and loneliness has started. I've been with parents who have lost a child. That should never happen is for a parent to lose a child. It's just the strangest, most awful thing that could ever happen. It should happen the other way around. The, the children should bury the parents and not the other way around. And it's just a terrible, terrible thing that takes place in a couple's lives. I've been with somebody who just lost their self-respect. They made a, a, a very bad judgment call and decision. He offended his conscience. He betrayed uh, trust. He disappointed those who looked up to him. And uh, all of a sudden, life changed for him. Problems come. Trouble comes in many different ways. But we need to know how to respond to those situations that will come to us. Life isn't easy. And even those who are on the road to success, who are experiencing lots and lots of success, there's still trouble that comes. Uh, I think it was Paul Harvey that said, you can tell when you're on the road to success, it's uphill all the way. So troubles come to us. 
Uh, they come to us for no discernible reason. They come to us in random events and acts that come to us and we have to deal with them, how to respond to them. There is one certainty, problems will come. There is one certainty, difficulties will come and tough times will come. They will come as little problems that will nibble. They will come as big problems that will seek to devour us. They will come as nagging problems that will just persist and will come as perplexing problems that will attempt to confuse us. But they will come. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And they will come at the most inopportune moment. Have you ever had a flat tire when it's convenient to have a flat tire? Have you ever had a bout of flu when it's convenient to have a bout of flu? No, it'll come as the most inopportune uh, moment. And we need to respond positively. A good day will suddenly become a bad day. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So, no problem will leave you the same. It'll always change you. Problems are great dividers. They will either make you a little bit more successful or move you towards failure. And our response will determine an upward or a downward movement. Problems and a wrong response will result in a bad decision. Problems and a good response will result in a good result. So, I want to share this morning four different negative responses. And the first one is self-pity. <laughs> self-pity. Poor me. Poor me. Man, this is a cul-de-sac that you go down. There was a road in Durban where I grew up, and it was... It was they, they increased that whole area, and it didn't become a cul-de-sac, but there was, when we were growing up, there was a cul-de-sac. It was a steep road, and when you went down, it was a very narrow road, and it was so difficult to turn around on a motor car and drive up that road. So we had to reverse up. And going down that road is the same as going down the road of self-pity. Poor me and having a pity party. The devil will always go harvest with you with self-pity. Always. And you're not trying to reverse back up that road. The older you get, the more stiff-necked you come and the more difficult it is. So the old tops, don't go down the road of self-pity because it's going to be very awkward for you. A comedian once said, I get the feeling that the whole world is against me, but deep down, I know that's not true. Some of the smaller countries are neutral. That's true. The whole world is against me. Poor, poor me. And we move into that place of if only land. If only I hadn't married this person. If only I had been brought up in a different family. If only I had been born on the other side of the railway tracks. If only, if only. Don't go to self-pity. There was a guy in the Bible whose name was Elijah. Great miracle worker. And God performed incredible things through him. He called down fire from, uh, from heaven. And 450 prophets of Baal were slaughtered because God was able to bring down fire. He was able to pray for rain. And seven times he prayed and rain came that had been in a drought situation. Israel had been in a drought situation for about three and a half years. And then he uh, was able to run faster than the chariots of Ahab, who was the king at that point. Incredible stuff. 
But then we see in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 5, he's sitting under a tree and he's having a pity party for himself. And so let's look at what is in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. And he himself... But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Oh, oh boo-hoo, boo-hoo. I mean, he's just done incredible miracles. Now he has a pity party. Now I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe the stress, maybe just, just sheer exhaustion. Maybe he's hungry. God sent an angel to feed him uh, some wonderful food, angel food. I mean, angel cake, I think is fantastic. But, <laughs> but he's having a pity party. You know, the interesting thing is, and I just throw this one out. Once he get, got to that place of having this terrible pity party and Jezebel saying to him, I'm going to get you, Elijah. As you've done to the 450 prophets of Baal, I'm going to do the same to you. And he was petrified. I mean, he's just prayed that God fall, uh, uh, brings fire from heaven, but he's scared of this queen. Never, ever did he regain that incredible authority and power with God after this pity party. Just throw that out. Unbelief. How could this happen to me? You know, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. And sometimes troubles come to teach us stuff. And I'll talk a little bit about this uh, later. We see in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. In James chapter 1. Count it all joy, brothers. Hey, that's a verse that I really struggle with. I'm going to talk to God about that verse. Count it all joy when you meet trouble. But that's the scripture. This is God's word. When you meet, go back, <laughs> trials and various, of various kinds. Number three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How could this happen to me? You know, God, do you know, I mean, have you ever said, and I remember saying this a number of years ago, I was going through just stuff. We were moving out of the ministry. I was going into business with my brother, which was an absolute disaster. And I said, God, do you know what you're doing with my life? It's my decisions. But I had the audacity and the cheek to say to God, do you know what you're doing with my life? And that's unbelief, is when we get to a place where we're going through so much drama, so much trouble, that we actually say, do you know what you're doing with my life? Some of you are smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows. He knows. And sometimes we go through innocent suffering where disease or problems or bereavements or accidents come our way. Sometimes... We bring it upon ourselves because of sin and carelessness and bad self-discipline. Some come as a result of bad attitudes, and when we have a bad attitude, those bad attitudes normally turn around and they clap us left and right. Sometimes it's voluntary exposure to sin, I'm, uh, to, to suffering. I'm going to, I'm going to embark on this road because of 
the, the, the requirement that I believe that God is making in the kingdom of God, and I'm going to suffer for the, for the kingdom. But if belief is confidence in God, unbelief is the confidence that you don't know what God is doing in your life. But when we resist with unbelief, we possibly deny the pruning process that God is wanting to get involved with in our lives. And it will result in some form of disappointment. How about anger, the third one? Anger, anger, anger. Anger with God. Do you know what you're doing with my life? And that results in anger towards others as well. It's a terrible thing to live in a family situation with an angry person. And some of us have experienced that. There's an Ecuadorian proverb that says, anger in the mind is poison to the soul. I mean, just always treading on eggs. No person deserves to live in a situation where you're treading on eggs. And then the next one is offense. I want to just talk a little bit about offense now. The Greek word for offense is skandalizo. And the way they trapped birds in the past is that they had a box and they had a stick and a string attached to it. And they had a whole lot of seeds and the birds came and they ate the seeds and they ate the seeds and there was a whole bunch of seeds underneath the box. So when the bird went in underneath the box, they used to pull the string, the, bird, the, the um, stick came out and the box fell. And all of a sudden, they were in this dark box. And that's what offense does. You go down the road of offense and all of a sudden you find yourself in a black box. And it's very difficult to recover from that. Every move you make is the wrong move. Every prayer you pray is just like a whimper. All the counsel that you receive is counterproductive because you have messed with my emotions. Let me tell you, 40 years in ministry, if I took my shirt off, it would scare the living daylights out of you, but I'll show you the scars. <laughs> lots and lots of scars of 40 years in ministry, but I've chosen not to take offense. Hmm? There was a guy in a, when I was still in the Presbyterian church who, who just, I don't know, you always, you always have one person at least in a congregation who is your thorn. <laughs> yeah? I mean, we, we, we see in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9, where Paul says, there's a thorn in my side. He personifies that. It's a messenger from Satan. So there's somebody who's a thorn. And this guy was a thorn. I mean, he was, he was aggressively against me. His name was Dolph. So Dolph, if you ever listen to this, remember, I'm telling you the story. <laughs> and it, I, used to, I used to arrive at church. You remember Dolph, eh? Yeah, yeah, I used to remember. <laughs> arrived at church, greeted everybody. Hi, Dolph, how are you? Fine. Never asked me about me. How are you doing? Aggressive. Aggressive. I think he had this figment in his imagination that if he 
saw me in a dark alley, he would beat me up. I would have appreciated that moment too, but... <laughs> Eventually, I left the Presbyterian Church. He stayed behind, and I saw him walking into Tiger Valley Center the one day. We walked in from different angles into the same uh, entrance of Tiger Valley, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. Hello, Richard, how are you? And I'm thinking... Have you been converted? <laughs> and, he, and, and this is what he said to me. He says, he said, if, well, not if. He said, the church has never been the same since you left. Meaning that it has declined since the moment that you... I thought, you, you hated me. You, you hated my guts. You wanted to meet me in a deep, dark alley. I mean, but now you're like waxing lyrical here about how great I was. What's, the, what's your problem? Have you been converted? But, I mean, <laughs> but you choose not to be offended. Look at Proverbs 18 and verse 19. It is harder to make amends with an offended friend than to capture a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with iron bars. It's harder to reconcile with an offended friend than it is to invade a fortified city. Wow. Wow. Don't take offense. And I mean, in church, it's just full of offense. I mean, if somebody at work offends you, you know, you could be freaked out. What the hell? I mean, who are they? But in church, oh, an elder freaks you out. A, a pastor freaks you out. And you take offense. Don't take offense because you'll find yourself in a deep, dark box. And spiritually, you're going to go nowhere. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11, it's a man's discretion. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook a transgression. We've got a saying in Josh Jen that if you have been offended, you've got 30 seconds to get over it. Because we know, we know that if we don't get over it and we, have, we nurse that offense, you're going to end up in a big black box, trapped, nowhere to go. The Bible does say, be angry, but do not sin. James tells us in James chapter 1, he admonishes us to be slow to anger. But we've got the power to choose. We've got the power to choose. So those are four negative responses. But I just want to talk a little bit about responses. We need to have creative ways in which we respond. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? And the rich young ruler came to Jesus one day. He was a, a young ruler. He came running towards Jesus uh, asked him a very important question, what must I do to have eternal life? He got the right answer from the right person. Now, all five things. Five things were right about that story. Young, at the right age, running, full of passion. Asked the right question, what must I do to have eternal life? He came to Jesus, the right person to be asked that question. He got the right answer. You must sell all that you have, give it to the poor, Take up your cross and follow me. Five things were right. 
about that story. But the story ends badly for the rich young ruler. Because his response, listen to this, his response was, can't do it. He turned around and he walked away. Everything hinged on that response. That's why it's so important for us to respond positively to tough times. We have the deciding vote in everything. We can say yes or no. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. These are choices you choose. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Joshua 24. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. How about Psalm 25? Who is the man who fears the Lord? I will instruct him in his way, in the way he should choose. It's about your choices. There's a little poem that goes something like this. There are choices you have to make in everything you do, and you must always keep in mind the choices you make, make you. So let's look at two positive responses. I think uh, Brian is going to share next week, and I'm going to share the week after a continuation of this. But I want to share two positive responses. First of all, you must believe that God is for you. Always believe that God is for you. He's working all things out for your highest good. Even if you're going through difficulties, he's working stuff out for you. Don't ever make a big decision based on a bad day. In the ministry, we've got a saying that says, never, remind, never resign on a Monday. Because coming after the weekend, stuff could happen. You know, oh, this is a bad day. I'm going to resign. Never resign on a Monday. You see, when God looks at your life, he looks at your life from its completion. If God is writing the book of a thousand pages of your life, he starts with page 1,000. And then he goes to, one, to 999. Then he goes to 998. And he writes from its completion. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And this is what we see here. For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew. Okay, I'm just going to stop there. He knew what your life was about. He knew the destiny. He's our faithful and unchanging friend. And when we are working out his great commission in our lives, he has said to us, he has promised us, that I will be with you always. There are going to be good times and there are going to be bad times. But he's never misled us. He's never misled me. He never forsakes me, forgets me. He never overlooks me. His word says that his plan and his purpose for my life is good, not to harm, to give me a hope and to give me a future. That's his plan. 
He is the God of all circumstances, and He looks at your life from its completion all the way back. Psalm 139 and verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. But I can't count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. There's another translation that says, when I awaken in the morning, you are still thinking about me. When you woke up this morning, God didn't decide to make your day. He made this day before creation. Wow. So you think, I'm going through a difficult time. Nothing's happening. Nothing's coming through. This is the 11th hour, Lord. Maybe... It's way past midnight. Maybe this thing is dead. It's dead in the dirt. But you know what? God doesn't mind dead. He's pretty good at working with dead. And we have to trust Him in this situation. Don't make big decisions based on a bad day. Once again, God is looking at your life from its completion. And so when you say, ah, Lord, I'm struggling, and we whine, and we whimper, and eventually he's got space to talk to us, and he says, are you done? Can I talk to you now? I'm not concerned about what's coming tomorrow. So that's why I'm not concerned about what's happening today. I want to tell you a story about a Chinese, poor Chinese family many centuries ago out in the uh, grasslands of China. And they were poor, they were in a tent, and into their little uh, area, their little small holding that they had secured, uh, one day a horse came in. A horse was a very valuable item. And they thought, this is amazing. And the horse was with them for the day. And the day ended, and they said, today has been a good day. They woke up the next morning, and they went out, and the horse was gone. Disappeared. And that day was a bad day. But the next day they woke up, and the horse had returned, and had brought a whole lot of his buddies with him, his friends. And they had lots of horses in their little small holding. And they thought, this is a good day. But the next day, the son, the oldest son, saddled up a horse and he went out riding and he fell off the horse and he broke his leg and that was a. But the following day, the local warlord came past conscripting people to go into war and to fight a battle, but the son couldn't go into war because he had a broken leg. And it was a. Do you know when it's a good day or when it's a bad day in God's economy? You don't know. You just don't know when it's a good day and when it's a bad day in God's economy. And God will work all things out for good. 
a daughter and a mother were having a conversation in the kitchen, and the daughter was saying, you know, Mom, I'm going through a really difficult time. My friends are giving me the gears and uh, having problems with my boyfriend, and my grades are really poor. And uh, the mom said, can I make you a cake? She said, that'll be great, Mom. That'll be fantastic. The mom said, here, here's some cooking oil. What must I do with the cooking oil? And here's some flour in this bowl. Flour, flour by itself is awful. Here's a little bit of baking soda. And some sugar, it's just so sweet, just sugar by itself. You see, and two eggs came. <laughs> what must I do with raw eggs? All by themselves are not pleasant but blended all together makes a beautiful cake. And sometimes God has to take those individual experiences and blend them all together to do something special in our lives. And sometimes when we go through difficulty and sometimes we're going through trouble, He is producing something. God is more intent on producing character in you than He is in seeing to your own happiness and your own comfort. I want to give you in three words the essence of, in a nutshell, of what Christianity is about. Preparation for eternity. That's it. We are so consumed with this life, but God is wanting to instill character in us, and He's going to allow us to go through difficult times, but our response to that situation will determine on whether it's a good or a bad outcome. And we need to know that there are thousands, seven thousand promises in the Bible for us that we can use to throw our everything on God, on His rescue plan. There's an interesting story that takes place in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian. Ha! Huh. It's a Christian book. Christian is the main person. In the, in the, Christian is in a giant dungeon of despair. And he says, how am, how am I going to get out of this dungeon? And he just realizes, I've got a key ring here. And one of the keys is called promise. And he remembers that that key that was given to him, that promise could unlock any dungeon. And he unlocks and he walks out into the sunlight. 7,000 promises. Let me share some of those promises with you. He hears our prayers. Isaiah 65. He rewards us for being faithful. Matthew 16. He never withdraws his presence. Matthew 28. He receives and helps those who come to him. John 6. He never leaves us comfortless, John 14. He never gives up when we make a mistake, Philippians 2. He provides for all our physical and spiritual needs, Philippians 4. He gives us wisdom and guidance for those who seek, James 1. He forgives our sins and when we confess them, 1 John chapter 1. He never allows sufferings and heartache to become unbearable, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Those are some of the promises. There was an old chorus that went something like this. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I am living in His love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. 
God loves you and desires good for you. He believes in you. And we need to respond and say, we believe that God is for us. Amen? And I want to finish off with this last point. <clears throat> we need to respond the way Jesus would respond. Looked at a couple of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 yesterday. One of the ones that stood out for me is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Really? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are humble, that are, 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 are gentle. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit. Normally, it's the strong. It's the dynamic. It's the go-getter that will inherit. No. Jesus said, blessed are the meek that will inherit the earth. And we need to respond to situations the way Jesus would respond. Sidney Harris, uh, past generation, was a, a journalist, an author. He wrote 11 books. He, uh, um, I think, wrote for probably 200 newspapers around North America. And he had a friend visit him one day, and they said, let's go down and get the local newspaper. So they walked down together, and they went to the little newsstand, and they got a newspaper. They got, Sydney said, please, I, may I have a newspaper? And the guy behind the counter was very abrasive and was rude, and he kind of threw the newspaper down, and when he got the change, he just chucked the change onto the counter, and Sydney said, thank you very much, and have a nice day. And the friend was amazed at the interaction that took place. He said, walking away, he said, is that guy always so rude to you? Yeah, he is, unfortunately. And why are you always so nice and kind back to him? And this is what Sidney said. He says, because I don't want him to decide how I am going to behave. I don't want him to decide how I'm going to behave. Sometimes we are met with such a bad negative attitude, vibration, challenged. And how are you going to decide to behave? You can't always control what happens to you. But you can control how you react to it. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 39. If somebody strikes you, stand there and take it. Turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12. Do not repay evil for evil. Never take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You see, a problem with a Christ-like response will always be the best, best outcome. And we need to respond with kindness back to the person. No matter what comes to us, respond with kindness. Henry James said this. He expressed it so beautifully. There are three things in human life that are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. The third is to be kind. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Samaritan had been attacked. He was lying, injured, on the side of the road. A priest walked past. Saw the need. Didn't do anything. A Levite walked past, 
saw the man, didn't do anything, and walked on. The good Samaritan was compelled to do something. He saw the need and responded accordingly. A response is about everything. Zig Ziglar declares, you can't get everything in life you want, but if you help enough other people get what they want, it'll come to you. Our response shouldn't be stepping on others, but stooping down to help others. Your response is almost everything. Let's pray together.